Oh, we're rocketing right along. That's a long section from uh, God's Word today. We're going to talk today about uh, what when God comes through for you. And I think all of you could probably t- uh, give a testimony today about when you saw God actually come through for you. But we're going to start with a special day because this is what's happening here. There are some days, I think we'll all acknowledge, that uh, are above all others. I mean, like Mother's Day, for example, or birthdays or anniversaries or graduations. We've got graduations coming up here across the street in a week. Uh, Anthony, you get rid of one for a while. Who knows how that works out. Uh, and, uh, but for Ruth and Naomi, this is such a day. This is a special day for them. Uh, something is about to happen that is going to change their lives forever. Now, so far, what we know in the story, in our first three sermons from this series, is that she has, ex- she has experienced extreme uh, kindness from a man named Boaz. Uh, she knows who he is, but she doesn't know yet that he actually matters. Uh, she doesn't know about her, his connection to Naomi, and uh, Naomi doesn't know about his kindness yet to Ruth. All we know so far is that Ruth just happened, in fact, the old King James says she was half to land, uh, that uh, she just happened to go, glean in the field of Boaz, who went out of his way to honor her, to protect her. Uh, she recognizes now kind of like the hand of God in how he treated her. But beyond that, they still are only looking at a small little picture here. And they don't see the full panorama yet of what's going on. Now, these closing verses that Jimmy just read to you from Ruth 2 tell us uh, how these two widows, Ruth and Naomi, the old one, the young one, respond to God's astonishing grace. Now, Ruth returns home very tired, very glad, uh, carrying an armful of uh, uh, fresh grain, enough to feed these two women probably maybe as long as a week. Now, the question is, let me ask you this. Uh, you can respond after a while and talk back time. Uh, but how do you react when God comes through for you? Well, I should probably ask another question. Has God ever come through for you? And when he has come through for you, how did you react? Like, well, it's about time. Or, wow. Well, what do you do when your prayers are answered? Those prayers you keep praying and praying and praying, and all of a sudden one day, boom, you realize... I don't need to pray much about that. I need a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving because it did happen back here. Or how do you respond to God's extreme kindness to you? Well, I think we ought to do what Ruth and Naomi do, did. They celebrated. Great for celebration. Let's go back to the text. This is verse 19. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Now, at this moment... Naomi has no idea who owns the field that produced this bounty of food that Ruth has brought home to feed them with. Even so, she offers a prayer of blessing for this guy without even knowing who he is. And with this prayer, I mean, literally, she's changing her name again. She said when she got back to town, call me Mara, I'm bitter. And all of a sudden, she's changing from bitterness to blessing. And she's, uh, God's grace has now begun to kind of heal Naomi's heart. And friends, I, I would suggest to you that you will never uh, lack a reason to celebrate God's goodness when your heart is turned to see exactly what he's been doing in your life. So in one poor home in Bethlehem, uh, there's great rejoicing. But in another home, 
a good old Boaz is just tired from working in the fields that day and is having a good night's rest. He has no idea what's about to happen in his life. Now, we go back to verses 19 and 20. Ruth told her mother-in-law who she worked for and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness. Now, I want you to remember that word for a moment, kindness, to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family Redeemers. You can, you can latch, on, latch on to that phrase too because it's really kinsman redeemer. So we've got kindness and kin, uh, uh, kinsman redeemer. Now I want to go back to that word kindness. I ask you to remember that. Uh, that's that good old Hebrew word I love saying, chesed, because you get a lot of phlegm in your throat when you say that. Uh, chesed comes from a Hebrew word that is used 200 plus times in the Old Testament. It, it's a really kind of a difficult word to translate into English because it encompasses a whole variety of things. It can, in some places, mean love, some places kindness, some places loyalty. Sometimes it means grace, sometimes it means mercy, but it's still a wonderful word to say, chesed, you know, God's kindness. Uh, Now, Naomi, who wanted to be called bitter, uh, now sees the invisible hand of God in leading Ruth and Boaz, uh, leading Ruth to Boaz's field. Now, I don't know how many, how many of you remember the movie Casablanca? You ever see, anybody see that besides me? Humphrey Bogart, I think, there's a, there's a comment in there he makes. He says, of all of the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. And I, I don't know that uh, Boaz had seen that movie yet, uh, but I have a feeling it's like, of all the fields in town, Naomi is saying, uh, in all the world, Ruth walks into the uh, field of Boaz. And that's kind of like what it felt like to her. Now, after everything, remember what Naomi has lost. She's lost her husband, Elimelech, has lost both Malan and Chilion, her two sons. And she's also kind of lost one of her daughters-in-law who decides to stay back back in Moab. Remember good old Orpah? Kind of disappeared about a chapter ago for us. And now she's coming back empty, and she finally realizes, I've lost a lot of stuff, but God has not forgotten me. Now, the Old Testament law, I'm going to get to this, the Old Testament law allowed a close relative to redeem a family member under certain certain circumstances. Now, you can go back and read that. It's in Leviticus chapter 25. And we'll get to that a little bit more in the message. It allowed this kinsman redeemer, if you will, uh, to buy back uh, a family member who had been sold into slavery or to purchase the land back that he had to sell under extreme hardship. And in some situations, this kinsman, this redeemer, uh, it allowed him to avenge the blood of a, of a family member who had been killed. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, you read more about this kinsman redeemer. He even allowed that person to marry his dead brother's former wife or the brother who was left childless. That way, that man uh, could raise up children for the deceased man and keep his family name alive. But there's always a little kicker in this story. The law of the kinsman redeemer was meant only to apply was 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 only was never meant to apply to foreigners. And at this point, you kind of go, 
wow, this is leading up to something good, and all of a sudden we can't take care of a foreigner. It was a family law, a family law given by God to guide the Jews in times of family crisis. A Jewish man could therefore marry a Jewish woman to help his deceased Jewish brother. Accent on the words Jewish. But it was never meant to apply to a marriage between a Jewish man and a Moabite woman. Now, some of you already know the end of the story. Well, then how did that happen? Well, how could that possibly be? Well, at this moment in the story, if I'm Naomi, I'm not, but if I was Naomi, I'd have no idea how Boaz will respond to the offer that's going to come around the bend to redeem Ruth or the family farm. But that's still kind of in the future. All we know is at this point, Ruth just happened to meet Boaz, who is the right man in the right place at the right time. See, that morning when Ruth woke up for work out in the fields, uh, she had no idea what was about to happen. And this is where I'd insert big letters, but God. You ever have those moments, you're drifting along and you wonder how this is, but God, it just flashes up on the screen in front of your eyes. God has raised up a redeemer here because God is going to do what only God can do. Now, I do actually have four points today. This is where we're going to get to this. Because this is where the story applies to Ruth and Naomi, but it also applies to us as well. And I want to share four signs of what I would call of God's governance or God's guidance. So out of this whole mass of details we've got swirling around from Leviticus and Ruth and Deuteronomy and who knows how many other Bible passages that we got connected with this story, uh, we can see God's fingerprints all over this thing. So here's the very first point I want to make with you, and that's that God guided Ruth to a place of peace. Look at verse 21 again. Ruth the Moabitess. Do you ever notice how they keep bringing that up? The Moabitess. He also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now, note again, she's referred to as Ruth the Moabitess. Now, we already know that she's from Moab. Uh, but why mention it again? Why do they keep bringing this up? Well, it's because we need to remember what foreigners always knew, and that is, you ain't from around here. I mean, every day, and there's probably not a day passed, uh, in the village of Bethlehem, small little village, you remember you sing about that at Christmas, old little town of Bethlehem, without somebody remarking about her background. Uh, if her dress didn't give her away, uh, her speech probably gave her away, and it's possible that even the color of her skin gave her away. But every day, Ruth was being reminded that she was not Jewish, which meant she was outside the covenant that God had made with the Jews, and therefore, she was a stranger to the promises of God. She didn't belong. She did not fit in. And it would not be unusual in that small little community, like many little small communities, uh, if some people thought it would be better if she just went back to her own people. You know, Ruth, why don't you just take a hike, go back home where you belong. Now, you can call that racism, or if you want a fancy word, you can call it ethro. <laughs> Uh, ethnocentrism, if I think that's the correct word, or just say a girl from Moab uh, could never find a home in Bethlehem. Then we insert those two words again. But God, right there, flashes big on the screen. Now, this would be all true except for a guy whose name happens to be Boaz. 
he has revealed himself so far in our story to be a man of character. Uh, he's a man of compassion. Beyond that, he has got a little bit of cash. He owns some land, and no doubt he's one of the more, uh, maybe more aristocratic families in the area. That's kind of an assumption. So if Boaz decides, regardless of what Scripture might say, in some places, I'm going to insert that, in some places, uh, to take care of Ruth, no one would dare to speak against him. They might gossip behind closed doors. After all, that's what happens in small little communities. Uh, but no one would bother her while she was under her protection. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. God made a way for her, just like he does for us, he makes a way for us as well, when there is no way. You ever said that? Eh, no way. No way could this could happen. No way. I said that a few times in my life. No way. Now, one commentator that I read, and this is going to fill in a blank because you're saying, well, hold it. If he could not be a kinsman redeemer to somebody who is not Jewish, how did she slip in the back door here? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the same law that forbids her to join the people of God in Deuteronomy 23 opens a door of grace for her in Deuteronomy chapter 24. See, the first law says that she could not come in. She was not a Jew. The second law says that she could not be kept out because it provided for who? This law also provided for who? For the stranger, the fatherless, and the, you want to fill in the blank, the widow. <laughs> Ruth qualified on all three accounts. She was a stranger. She was a uh, she was fatherless. Her dad had died. Elimelech is gone. And she indeed was a widow. So in, in this, what we see here is that God always intended to make a way for the Moabites to get into the kingdom of God. Now, what, what you see here, uh, you don't think about the Old Testament having the gospel in it, but the Old Testament is full of the gospel. Uh, that's the gospel in action even before Jesus shows up on the scene. See, we need this because in God's eyes, guess what? All of us gathered here this morning are all Moabites. None of us belong in God's family. None of us has a claim on God's grace. By nature, we are all, well, evil, wicked, bad, and nasty sinners under God's judgment. Uh, this, the flaming sword that kept Adam and Eve from going back in the garden, it applies to us as well. Uh, see, we have no way back into paradise, if you will, unless God makes a way. And that's what he did when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. He made a way when there was no way. Uh, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah. Now, here's the third point I want to make. God guides Ruth to a place of protection. Again, going back to the, the reading for the day. Verse 22, say, So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it's good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Well, that's kind of ominous in a strange way. But in other words, uh, young men in another field may try to take advantage of you. That's probably a nice way of putting it, uh, because she was a young widow, probably in her mid-20s. Uh, she was from another country. She wasn't from around there. And by staying in the field of Boaz, Ruth would be protected and Boaz would be able to keep his eye on her. So there. There's God. God's plan protects her, 
protects a young woman while keeping her in view. And the one man who also is watching is the one man who can change her life. Well, here's my fourth point. God guided Ruth to a place of provision as well. Again, verse 23, Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, we looked at this one time before. The barley harvest uh, began in uh, sometime around April, and the wheat harvest ended in June. And uh, we'll let Jeff, after a while, explain the significance of those two harvests when we move into the New Testament. That's a, that's a whole subject for another day. Uh, this meant that Ruth would be working in the fields with other women for seven, to, seven months or so. And note it says she stayed close to these other women during those days in the field. Now, that kind of speaks not only to her loyalty, but it also speaks to a certain amount of common sense. And it certainly says something about her commitment. She went to work every day. She punched the clock every day. She was in the field every day. She was not afraid of hard work. But above all, it meant working in the harvest meant that she and Naomi would never go hungry. God had provided a home. God had provided food. And God had provided protection all for this young woman from Moab. She was safe and secure now in Bethlehem. And maybe you remember what Bethlehem means. It means the house of bread. She's come from a place of poverty where she's now living in the house of bread. Now here again, I don't know how we can, we can help but not see the gospel at work here. See, when Ruth was in the fields of Moab, she reaped nothing but sadness and death. Uh, she buried her husband in the fields of Moab uh, because the wages of sin is what? Is death. But in the fields of Boaz, there is an abundant provision. There is enough and there's more than enough. And by the way, if you haven't figured out that Boaz is a precursor to Jesus, uh, well, I'll explain a little bit more in the weeks to come. But I'm just kind of teasing you out a little bit on that one. Well, thinking of Jesus. Uh, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Uh, you go back and read that in uh, John chapter 6. I think somewhere around 6. Uh, after everybody had eaten everything they wanted, all the, the fish and the, you know, the, you know, the fish fillets from McDonald's or whatever, uh, they collect, what, 12 baskets full of uh, leftovers. And so this is the same way that God deals with us. Uh, he, he, he provides so much that we just never run out of his, his grace. So uh, all I'm saying is there is grace for today. Uh, there will be grace tomorrow morning. There will be plenty of grace for you next week, next month, next year. Uh, God's grace never runs out. That means you will never, ever meet a sinner that Jesus won't save. Because his grace, he has grace for even the most hopeless person. So let me ask you this question. Who is the worst sinner in the world today? Don't be, oh, God, I thought you were all point at me. Yeah, it's Jeff, obviously. No. <laughs> Who's the worst sinner on earth? Well, to be quite honest, you know, other than the fact that we all sing that song, Chief of Sinners, Though I Be, Jesus Shed His Blood for Me, an old hymn. But uh, I really have no idea who we would label today as the worst of sinners because there's plenty of grace. Whoever the worst person is, the worst sinner in the world today, the one thing we do have to say is that there is plenty of grace for that man or that woman with plenty of grace left over for the rest of us. I think that's kind of a cool thing. Now, if the story ended here, 
uh, we could start the next series on Revelation, which is where I'm going to start, I think, uh, the seven churches of Revelation. Uh, but if it ended here, it'd be pretty remarkable. But, there, but there's so much more. That's why I got three more messages, at least if out of Ruth. Now, some people uh, who read this story said, wow, Ruth and Boaz have obviously fallen for each other. They're both going to make an eyes at each other across the barley fields all the time. Uh, well, maybe so. But don't read stuff that's not in the text. <laughs> Just stick with the text. The emphasis here is not on their inner emotional state at all. I mean, obviously, Boaz has noticed Ruth and knew all about her noble character. And Ruth obviously spotted him uh, and realized this is a guy who was showing her undeserved kindness. But that's about all they knew. So the real hero in this story is the Lord. He's working behind the scenes. I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I talked about providence, pro video, and then the prevenient grace of God. That's all that stuff where God is working past, present, future all the time. He's already got it all figured out. He's orchestrated every last single detail in this story, including the famine that caused them to move to Moab in the first place, where Elimelech and Malan and Chilion all die, where Orpah stays behind. He arranges it for Ruth to just happen upon the fields of Boaz. He caused Boaz to look at her with a certain amount of compassion, and he assured her that uh, she had plenty of grain to take home to feed her mother-in-law. And if you step back from the story even a little bit further we can see that he actually arranged for Boaz to be a relative of Elimelech and thus thus qualified to be what? A kinsman redeemer for Naomi. But here's kind of the final fact to remember. In the book of Ruth, we hear from everyone except except from the main character. Do you realize that? I mean, Naomi talks all the time, it seems. Ruth speaks. Boaz speaks. Who doesn't speak? Well, God never says a word. That's interesting. Some people think this is kind of a weird book because God doesn't say anything here. Well, God doesn't need to say anything to realize what God is doing. And yet, he's the prime mover here behind all the scenes. I mean, his, he leaves fingerprints hiding in plain sight in this story. Uh, the writer wants us to see God at work in just the ordinary details of life. That's why we say, blessed are people who see the Lord everywhere. Now, if God is with us, and that's that word Emmanuel, God with us, then we are never alone. We're never truly on our own. Whenever God gets involved in something, there are no ordinary days. And we could almost say that, you know, since God is involved in a restore, there are no ordinary Sundays. When we, when we get, walk, get out of this building, we work for camp, that's not an ordinary day. We might say, well, we've done this a few times. No, the next one we do will not be an ordinary day. It will be different than the last one. It will be different from the one that's down the road. The next time people come in and have coffee and donuts at 9 o'clock, well, we can say, well, same people. Well, maybe they did, not same, but different people. It won't never be the same again. Everything keeps going on through this process. See, if you keep your eyes open, you're just going to see God active everywhere. Now, often we, we uh, focus on the spectacular, uh, but God says that's not always where you're going to see me in the spectacular. Uh, look for my fingerprints uh, in small things. Listen to that still, small voice that whispers. Uh, that's why I love the song, and I want to sing the song today. 
you know, Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might just see you everywhere. I mean, I could sing that song over and over. I played it several times this morning when I was kind of looking through my notes one last time. Open the eyes of my heart. I was praying it this morning, like, did I miss something in this story? Could I add another hour to this sermon? And he said, yes, but preach it next week. <laughs> it saved you from that. Now, you know, when you, when you say that, open the eyes of my heart, it, it kind of enables you to see God at work in places where you've never seen him at work before. See, it's a great advance spiritually to see God at work all the time, every situation, no matter what. And if you live long enough, like some of us, you're going to see almost all of it. Now, think about your life this far. I mean, I, I've looked back at my life. I'm creeping up on a, another magic number here. Um, but you know, we, we will betray people and we'll be betrayed. We will laugh in the years to come and we will cry in the years to come. We will sing songs of joy and we will sing songs that bring bitter tears. Uh, friends will amaze us and, uh, and some of our friends will absolutely frustrate us. Uh, we'll win some great victories and we will suffer some humiliating defeats. And yet God, who ordains all of that, our journey through life, it, I mean, our life, just plain and simple, is not a straight line. How many of you had a straight line from birth up to this point? Man, I tell you, if I look, if you graphed my life, uh, my life would be going every which way. Uh, it would be two steps forward and then three steps back. Uh, sometimes it'd be four steps down. Sometimes it'd take seven steps up. Uh, sometimes I'd shuffle sideways and I'd shuffle back around and I'd spin around and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But if my life, well, to quote Harry Chapin, all my life's a circle. We should have sung that this morning. That was a good song, too. All my life's a circle. Okay, that's for another Sunday. We just cannot escape the changing nature of life. But we can change how we look at it. I mean, life's not always fair. Uh, surely there's a, that's a major point here in Ruth's story. Uh, why? Because not all days, not all days are alike. Uh, if someone had told Ruth early in the morning what was about to happen, she wouldn't have believed it. Uh, she got up, she went to the fields, hoping to find enough barley to keep her and her mother-in-law alive. She didn't know what was about to happen. And again, we can insert, but God did. Uh, he used her obedience to open up a new chapter in her life. He would do the same for us. So we can back up and we say, okay, friends, because God is good, what? He cares for us. Because God is gracious, uh, he gives us what we don't deserve. And because he is our guide, he leads us in places that we, well, we don't even realize that he's leading us. See, in every detail of this story, God is at work. He caused Ruth to just happen to show up in the field of Boaz. He stirred up Boaz to notice Ruth. And then he caused him to shower her with kindness he saw Naomi's misery, and that turned into joy. And in all of that, we can kind of look back. That's the cool thing about this book. We can look back and say, that's God. That's what God does. That's how he works. That's why I can say, it's no wonder why these two ladies celebrated. Maybe they'd read the book of Psalms somewhere along the line. I think someone, David, Psalm 27, talks about how the goodness of the Lord and the land and the living. They just they they were living life one more time and saw God in this, but 
because uh, i got three more sermons, this message is not done yet. Not done yet. So we can kind of sit here and watch the sun go down on Boaz's field uh, on this day of days. You've got two widows in Bethlehem celebrating God's goodness to them. But this story ain't over yet. Not at all. That's why I'm saying stay tuned. Because Naomi is about to come up with a shocking plan next week to get Ruth and Boaz together for life. And so I, I began the sermon by saying, uh, you won't believe what happens next. That's why you need to come back next week. <laughs>